Okay, we're live. Give it a couple or another minute here for everybody to join. <clears throat> yep. Well, good morning, and uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, who's joining us this morning for our uh, continued study in the Book of Revelation. Um, we'll be looking again this morning at uh, Revelation chapter one. Um, I'm going to read verses four through eight, and uh, but we're going to be paying particular attention to um, verse four one more time. Um, now the reason just before we begin, um, before I open us with prayer too, the reason I want to spend so much time um, in this study right here in the beginning in the opening verses is because um, you know this opening, especially verses four through eight. Um, it, it, it is filled with so much content that's going to be unpacked and unfolded throughout the rest of Revelation that we really need to get this right. We really need to dig in here for a little bit um, and, uh, and, and really focus in on some of the language here and the imagery and the things that are said about God, especially in this um, triune salutation. Um, it's like anything, um, if, uh, if, you, if you start off off trajectory, uh, you're going to end uh, way off target. Um, so that's why I wanted to spend a bit of time here in this uh, in these verses. So let me read them, and then we'll open with prayer. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was <clears throat> and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Um, let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for your word and for the privilege and honor that we have and the opportunity that we have to study it and to study it together. Um, the word, even in times like this, goes forth unhindered, and we praise you for that. We ask, Lord, your blessing upon our study this morning. As we make our, our way through this, um, this glorious and yet uh, complex and sometimes difficult book, um, we ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit um, to illumine our hearts and minds that we might receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, um, take it in, and live by it. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Make sure everybody can hear me on this end. Okay, so last week we noted that um, Revelation is given this this letter, um, and in particularly this salutation is given to churches who are suffering, um, churches who are being oppressed, churches who are being severely tempted. 
to deny Christ and turn their backs on the hope of the gospel. Um, we talked a little bit last time about the symbolism of the number seven um, and how that, as well as the, the rest of the message communicated in the book of Revelation, indicates that this letter, this salutation, is for the whole church. Um, now, as we move forward, um, we're going to be seeing and hearing terrifying things in this letter. We're going to hear um, and see the church being uh, harassed by what is portrayed as a beast, called the beast. Um, the church being um, harassed and persecuted and oppressed by the powers of this world um, in various ways. The imagery is going to be terrifying, um, as this is described. Behind it all, we're going to be seeing that it is Satan himself who is described as the dragon, um, who it was behind the suffering and persecution and oppression of the church. Um, we're going to be seeing the church chased into the wilderness by the dragon, um, trampled by a terrifying beast that arises from the sea. We're going to see uh, the church, as it's portrayed uh, in Revelation, martyred in the streets while the world celebrates. Um, we're going to hear about and see terrible tribu tribulations and judgments that are going to be poured out on the earth, um, cups and, and seals and so forth. And if that was all we heard, if that was all that we saw in this book of Revelation, we would probably want to uh, shrivel up into a ball in some corner and just wait there shivering until it's all over. Um, but... Um, the book of Revelation, again, is not given to terrify Christians, either in the first century or in our own. Um, nor is it given to assure us that we're definitely going to be defeated by the forces of wickedness. The book of Revelation is given, as verse 3 said, to, to bless us and to ensure that we get that point, that we understand this book is about blessing us, um, encouraging us, equipping us, this book opens with a, uh, a salutation, the salutation that we just read. It opens with a word of grace and peace to the church, grace and peace that flows to us from the triune God. And now last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit as he's described, and the grace and peace that comes to the whole church um, through, through this letter, through Christ. And through the Spirit. Uh, this morning, we're going to focus in on the Father. Um, as you can see, because this is a triune salutation, Father, Spirit, and Son. And uh, as you can see, the, the, the salutation opens um, with the description of God, the description of um, God the Father. And it says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was, and who is to come. That's what I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about with you this morning. Um, God is the one who is, and who was, and who is to come. Now, that description of God um, is not given to the churches in a vacuum. Uh, that description of God has a background in prior revelation given by God to his people. Revelation, the book of Revelation, is not cut off from what came before it. 
Um, and so the origins of that description of God go back to the Old Testament, in particular, to the time of the Exodus. Um, at the time when the Lord God appointed Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses asked, um, he asked God what God's name was. Um, how should I um, describe you? How should I, I, uh, I speak to the people if I don't even know your name? And so in, in Exodus 3, verses 12 through 15, uh, it reads, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all, your, all generations. Now remember the context in which uh, that name was given. I am Yahweh. God's people were at that time under the harsh bondage of the Egyptians. Um, at that time, the greatest power on earth, uh, the Egyptian nation. Now the first thing that God makes known to Israel about himself as he is about to deliver them from this world power um, is his name, I Am. Now that's a significant revelation and it is a, a significant name. God says his name is I Am. We understand his name and his nature his being, are one. He is the existing one. That is his name. He is the present one. That is his name. He simply is. He had no beginning and he has no end. He is the eternal God and he is revealing himself to his people as the God who truly is. Now that's significant, um, again, in the context. Um, He's revealing himself as the one who really and truly is over against the false gods of this world, the false gods particularly whom the Egyptians worshipped and trusted in. He is the true and living God who is. And his being who he is provides his oppressed and enslaved people um, great hope and confidence um, that uh, as surely as he is, and always was, he always will be for his people over against the false gods who are nothing. And we know how um, the, uh, the Exodus event played out, how God sent plague after plague upon the Egyptians. Each plague was in fact purposely designed to show how vain and empty were the gods that the Egyptians worshipped and trusted in. Uh, how without substance they were. Uh, they worshipped the river god, so God turned the river to blood. Uh, they worshipped the sun god, God turned out the lights. And, and so on and so forth until God, who is, delivered his people victoriously. Now later in uh, the Old Testament, again, um, just for a little bit more background, later Israel was going to be and was threatened by another nation, the Assyrians. Um, 
In fact, this, the Assyrians would come in and would uh, trample the people of God. They would destroy and scatter the people of God. And during that time, Isaiah the prophet was given a revelation of the name of God, the nature of God. So at that time, uh, wondering what Israel was going to be in the future, despairing of the affliction of the Assyrians and everything looking as though Israel was going to just end. God spoke in that darkness to Isaiah, says, saying this in Isaiah 41.4. Isaiah 41.4. He said, Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first with the last, I am he. Uh, and then God would continue to encourage Isaiah, and through Isaiah he would encourage his, his suffering people in this manner, telling his people um, in Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 13, he said, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And, and henceforth, also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Um, a couple more from Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. You hear the, the language similarity with Revelation? I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and uh, set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. And then again, finally, in uh, Isaiah 48, verse 12, he said, Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. So that's Old Testament background to the language we're hearing um, about God the Father here, as he's described as the one who is and who was and who is to come. And just as in the Old Testament, I am God made himself known by that name to Israel as they were suffering under the Egyptians. And just as he, um, he reminded them of that and expanded upon it, when they were enduring affliction by the hands of the Assyrians. Um, so now, in this book, he's making it known once again to his people that he is I Am. And he's expanding on that name even more. I Am, the Eternal One, the First, the Last. I Am, the One who has always reigned over all of the forces of history. I Am, the One True Living God. There is none beside me. And all of history, all that's taking place, this is according to my plan. It's the outworking of my plan, the Lord is saying. I mean, as I am, the, the true and living God, who was and is and always will be, he reigns, is what we're learning 
um, and what will, we will see unfold in the rest of the book of Revelation. He reigns as much over the Assyrians as over Egypt, as over all of the powers of this world. Um, in fact, we, we learn in the Old Testament and we learn in Revelation that God uses the powers of this world to accomplish his great and glorious purposes of salvation for his people. And he also uses these powers to manifest his justice, his power, his glory in the judgment of those who oppose him. Um, you, know, you think of the Old Testament, there was, wasn't very long after the Assyrians uh, did their damage to Israel that God raised up the Babylonians to judge the Assyrians. Um, the upshot of all of this is that the gods of the Egyptians and of the Assyrians, um, the gods of this world, are not real. They are not true. They have no existence and they have no power. But God is. And as such, his people, it's what we're getting from this salutation, his people um, have, they need not fear. For God is, and he was, and he will always be. And he is, and was, and will be for them. He is for them. Just as at the first, so at the last, and forevermore, God remains who he is. His faithfulness toward his people does not change. Um, and this is your God, then, that, you're, uh, that is speaking to you and introducing himself to you in the book of Revelation. This is your Savior. Um, this is why John, in addition to writing Revelation, he also wrote in his first epistle, um, he wrote, uh, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. So that's your God. And that's how he's introduced to you, um, the God the Father. Now, in contrast to this, later in the book of Revelation, God is going to portray, God portrays the beast, the one whom the world worships. The world will worship the beast. God portrays the beast, uh, that, that satanic, worldly, oppressive power. He, he portrays it in this way. He says in Revelation 17, 8, listen to the language. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Notice the contrast. The beast was and is not and is about to rise or about to come. The power that um, is so terrifying in Revelation, you know, the power that opposes the church, the God that is, again, worshipped by the world, may have been for a time, may appear to reign and have great power and dominion, may seem to be the ultimate destroyer who's going to snuff out the light of the church, but in reality, it is not a true God at all. It lacks genuine substance. It, it is not what it claims to be. It's not what the world believes it to be. 
Um, and as such, when it rises, when it comes, it is only rising to be destroyed by the true and living God. That power, that small g God that is hoped upon and believed upon and trusted by in the world, that um, which will for a time trample upon the church in the world, and persecute and oppress and even kill God's witnesses. Again, that's Isaiah behind that. That, that God, that small g God will be shown to be and is shown to be in this book, in Revelation, false. It's shown to be nothing, a has-been. Not, not having any true power, not having any true substance or glory or authority. And just as God demonstrated um, by his victory um, over the gods of the Egyptians and over the uh, idols of the Assyrians, delivering his people, so um, he has and is and will show us that there is none beside him. Our God is God. And our God, right here in this opening salutation, gives us grace and peace by the Spirit uh, through Christ, revealing himself to us, reminding us of his great and everlasting name. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, as he said in Isaiah. He's the beginning and the end. He's the true Lord of everything in between. Alpha and Omega are um, uh, the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet, symbolic, uh, signifying God's lordship over all things, his overarching existence and his overarching sovereignty over all of time and history. Um, such is the almighty power and sovereignty of God that he ordains these very historical uprisings and events um, which, uh, which seem to be against him and are against him and are against his people, but he himself is ordaining these things so that he might make his great power and glory and grace and justice known through those things as he displays that power and grace and glory um, in him defeating and overcoming all of these things. And he's going to do the same thing with this, with this whole pandemic. Um, it might seem this is a, a power uh, greater than um, than anything, and we might have that kind of fear right now in us, um, just trembling before this this great and awesome virus that has the whole world in its shadow. This this revelation reminds us God is far greater than that, and in fact, the virus is doing his bidding, doing his will. He is the first and the last. This is just a a, a momentary thing in the plan of God. Uh, that he is going to be using and, and is using to reveal his glory. So, far from this book, this, this revelation, uh, terrifying you, or, you know, that's its point, it's trying to bring you down into despair. Um, you know, don't believe all the Hollywood versions of the book of Revelation, where everything's um, some freaky, you know, terror movie. Um, far from that, uh, we are reminded in this, in this opening salutation who God is. Uh, we're given his name. And that name uh, ought to give us great confidence because that name reveals who he is, his nature, uh, the almighty, ever-existing one. It speaks to us of his faithfulness, everlasting faithfulness to his covenant promises to his people. Um, and it, it reveals to you that 
Uh, he is your great hope. He is your assurance of victory and salvation. And, and it's a call for you to rest in the almighty hands of he who is the eternal I am, who is, who was, and who always will be. Um, that's a great assurance for us, to put our, our trust in him in the midst of the uh, vicissitudes, the crazy of this world, the ups and downs. Um, there's one who doesn't change. And he has revealed himself to you as your God. So begin, we begin here in this book. That's, that's important to note. We begin here with him. Um, as, uh, as John said, again, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Our God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's the eternal one who reigns almighty over all of creation and all of history, all the powers that be. Our God is the God who is ever present with his church and who has demonstrated again and again his mighty power in judgment and in salvation on our, for our sake. And it, the question you know, we can walk away with is, if he is for us, if he who is is for us, then who can be against us. So that that is the Father. Um, we, we talked about the Spirit last week in this um, opening triune salutation. This morning we, we, we looked at the Father, and next week we'll, uh, we'll be getting into the Son, uh, who really is going to be the focus of this book. So uh, thank you all who are live streaming for joining us um, this morning. Um, you can stay on if you'd like. I'm going to see if there's any questions from anyone on uh, GoToMeeting. Um, but again, thank you for joining. Let me close us in prayer. Um, Father in heaven, thank you for your word in this time we are able to spend in it. We pray that we would take great comfort and peace, grace and peace um, from, from your word and from what we learned about you this morning. Uh, please give us a good day. Um, help us to take great confidence and, and put our, our hope and trust in you and, and walk in, in assurance and peace today. Your grace and your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, did anybody have any questions um, on the uh, go-to-meeting side of this? Oh, hi, Diane. <laughs> nice to see you. 